0: This is On Call with Dr. Dave. And today I'm talking to Dr. Sasa. And Dr. Sasa is a breast reconstruction surgeon. So not only are you a surgeon that works on the breast, but also you did an oncology fellowship in breast cancer and reconstruction. And we were talking before we started recording about how unique that is, that you are the one removing the cancer and doing lymph node dissection and the initial surgery. And you also do the reconstruction, which a lot of breast surgeons don't do themselves.
1: That's right. Um, I, it is kind of a unique position that I'm in. I did my fellowship in a certain hospital that allowed me to really explore what my interests were. And I knew coming from fellowship that uh-huh. I wanted to go into a place that was a little bit more rural. that didn't necessarily have a lot of the reconstruction providers that the bigger cities would have and so in addition to the oncology part of the fellowship i really honed in on the reconstruction so that does include a lot of the implant reconstruction as well as reductions in mastopexies mastopexies being breast lifts and i'll get into that in a little bit but i think it's really important when patients are diagnosed with breast cancer my biggest um i guess my, my of course everyone's priority is getting rid of the breast cancer but i really at my core, absolutely freaking hate breast cancer. And I really want patients to realize that there's a, a life after it. And part of that life after it is being able to like, look at, look at yourself in the mirror and being happy with what you see. Mm-hmm. So I think really that's what drives me to do what I, keep doing what I'm doing, which is getting rid of the cancer, but also being happy with what you're seeing and not being reminded of your surgeon every morning when you're looking in the mirror. Um, so yeah, so I do both the cancer part as well as the reconstruction.
0: And breast cancer is the number one cancer that a female is going to have to deal with. It's more likely than any other cancer it if is. you're a woman. And so you will encounter this either with a loved one or with yourself. And so I think it's important to talk about it and just be aware of. And okay. I like how you said like, I tell people that I'm a catch and release doctor. My goal is to fix what they have and then let them go back to their normal life and to not yes. think about me.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, because it, th- there are a couple of, th- it, cancer, when you get diagnosed with it, it's just you lose a lot of that control and being able to regain that control back and regaining that life back is so empowering and it allows you not only to, to live the life after that cancer diagnosis, but really to get through that initial treatment. I, I think without that that hope, uh, it's really difficult. I've seen it just really tear some patients apart to not have that. so i love I, I love being able to guide them through that. And yes, I would love to never see them again, except for at the gym or in the mall mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or <laughs> yeah. you know, um, mountain biking somewhere. Um, but i I think that's really what drives me to do what I do. Right, because we get rid of the cancer and you go home without it. You're coming to the hospital with it, you go home without it, that's awesome. You literally wake up and it's like ma- a surgery. I mean, and of course we're surgeons, so we were a little biased, but I think it's a little bit like magic. It is. Um, so I, I appreciate that, that um, I do a ton of reductions. I've got to tell you, Dave, the, the reductions um, are almost, not quite, but almost quite as like uh, as fulfilling as breast cancer cases because literally in the PACU, in the PACU where they recover after surgery, patients are amazed at how much less back pain and shoulder pain they have, which is, yes, like immediately when they wake up. Wow, It is so cool. Yeah. (laughs) It's, I'm such a feminist, like I'm such a girl power kind of girl. I did my residency and it's the first time that five categorical residents the first the interns were all girls so it was an awesome kind of uh, intro to you know girl power um and so i've been on this little girl power kick i I try to get as many girls Mm. as possible into medicine into surgery like moving up in the ranks kind of thing um because i think it's just so it's it's i don't know it's important for me um but the other thing too is it's sad, Dave, you mentioned, you know, at the end of your residency, you're looking at your wife and looking at somebody almost like a stranger. There are so many residents of my co-residents who got divorced Mm -hmm. during residency. And it is, it is sad. It is, it is a very hard thing to have to go through because there's, it's, it is necessary to have to spend that time, but it's also important to remember that there's another part of you that was there. that is there who is there as well Mm -hmm. yeah
0: well and Um, like you said getting women into medicine the way surgery training has been established the way medical schools have been established have been by just a bunch of guys that used to be residents that would not even be allowed to be married and they lived in the hospital and that's why they were called residents and so this whole system was built up around men not having families and lives and living in the hospital. And that's how this system was created. And so men are probably not going to be the ones that change the whole system because it's worked for us. And we need the women's perspective and say, why are you guys doing this? Like, don't do it this way. Like kind of dismantling it to a certain degree and to rebuild yeah. it. Because I even remember one of my co-residents took a week because his wife had a baby and he took a week of paternity leave. And I thought, well, that heck?
1: blew the roof off, on am sure. I know, because
0: I was on Q3 call and then he <laughs> left for a week and I was on Q2 that week. And I thought, like, how dare you do that to me? And now I look back and think, like, why did I not do that? Why did I not push for time off with a new baby like to support my wife? And why was I just so willing to just say, oh, back to the hospital. Good luck, honey. Bye.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Like like that was normal. It's not normal. I should have asked for as much time off as they would have given me.
1: No, absolutely. It's
0: come a long way since living in the hospital, but it's still not really compatible with how humans are supposed to live. And the older doctors look down on the new doctors that even consider lifestyle and their choices of career. Mm-hmm. And yet we do want to stay with our spouses. I want to have my kids know me. I, I need to be there for my kids. And and I'm still a great doctor. And having that connection with my kids and my family helps me interact with my patients, because my patients are not people that are missing out on their lives most of the time. And so how am I supposed to counsel them about life choices yeah. and decisions if I'm-
1: Your life is a mess. If I don't have
0: a life. Okay. <laughs>
1: But I don't have people
0: that care about me and I care about them. I just don't think you can be as good of a doctor unless you are a good human first. And then I do want to hear some of your stories. We've kind of sidetracked into just uh, medicine in general. But I do want to hear a couple of your stories about interactions with patients and some of those fun stories you like to tell other people.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, so I think the biggest thing for me are there, there are a couple that come to mind, a couple that are not necessarily the most fun, but kind of poignant. Um, It's, uh, I had a patient who was 20, who was diagnosed at 19. And she, um, this is a person who's really stuck with me for years now. Um, She was one of my very first patients. She was diagnosed at 19 and um, went, through some chemotherapy and we met after she kind of didn't finish her chemotherapy and was progressing ultimately she underwent surgery for um it was a bilateral breast cancer she had four children at the age of 23. wow wow. um, i know and um carried this genetic mutation that caused that initial breast cancer but she is somebody, is she somebody that I, you know, sorry to backtrack a little bit. I, gave and I still sometimes give my phone my cell phone number to patients because that's a practice that one of my attendings had started me getting into and I know we were just talking about work life balance. And it's like <laughs> very, very, very long, I, I do I'm the same. Like, oh, I yeah. do the but same. You, do, you feel a little bit of connection with some of these patients and you're like I really need you to reach out to me personally when you need to. So she was one of those people and uh, she everybody had just given up on her. Do you ever have those patients where like everyone's just given up on her? And I just kept pushing her. I remember bringing her like insures to her house, oh, and went to just, so and, and, but she ultimately died. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I took from that patient is that I can't, I think if people had pushed her earlier, we would have been, we would have a different outcome and I'm sorry to start on this kind of story, but it's one of those things that I just, it really stays with me that when you have a patient that you just really feel for, and I think if, if we as a medical community might be able to just push a little bit more and not give up so easily, it might be a little bit different um, for some patients. Maybe not everyone, but I think everyone just saw her as somebody who was like, hey, we don't care because she doesn't care about herself. I think at the, at the at the end of it all, she really tried, um, but she just needed that extra help to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's one of the things that I that that also. When when I think about what keeps me in this field, it's it's that it's knowing that I care enough about certain about patients that I I know I can make a difference in in in, in a little girl's life because she is a little girl. She's like, she little, a little, yeah. Girl. She's
0: nineteen. Mm-hmm. She's a kid. Yeah. Well, we started with kind of a, a difficult one—a nineteen-year-old with uh, metastatic cancer that passed away. At Sorry, guys. Sorry, no, I
1: was—I was. Well, maybe. she's just. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's those things that stick with us. It's yeah. not—it's not the happy ones that it sometimes is. Oh, but okay, hold on. Yeah. Hold
1: on. I do have a tiny little happy one. <laughs> There's a. Okay, just really quick. It's a girl who I did a breast reduction on, and she woke up literally as soon as the LMA was taken out of her mouth. She's like, guys, guys, did I tell you my, my song? And we're like, what? <laughs> She's like, I, I, did I tell you my song? My neck, my back, my titties just got whacked. <laughs> 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 I was like, you're the best thing uh, ever. Thank and, you so much. I really appreciate that. And she's
0: just coming straight out of anesthesia. And oh, she had to God, tell you that.
1: Literally, just literally LMA out. just came out. I mean, I
0: woke up from anesthesia once and I couldn't even speak English for an hour, let alone tell you the song I had written the day before.
1: Yes. It's <laughs> amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that, that's my 19-year-old. And this one was, a. I think she was like 24 or something both very memorable.
0: Most people are concerned they're going to do something memorable or inappropriate as they go to sleep or wake up. And most of the time, it's very boring. I tell patients it's really rare that they say anything inappropriate or funny as they go to sleep. But every once in a while, it's hilarious. I have Mm -hmm. one patient, and the patient before was super nervous that she was going to say something. And I'm like, most people don't. Don't worry about it. And she didn't. But the very next patient woke up, I'm doing kind of a conscious sedation type surgery. You can drift in and out of sleep. Halfway through the surgery, she wakes up just enough and says, yeah, my boobs are asymmetric, but my husband likes them, so it's okay. (laughs) And then just is asleep again, two seconds later. And we just started laughing, and she's right? out cold. She's out cold again. She has no memory of this at all.
1: Please and tell I, me you told her that afterwards. <laughs> you have to have told her that. After. Come on. I don't.
0: I don't remember if I did. I honestly don't. I might have just said, I don't know if she's going to want to know that. But I, I could have. I don't remember if I told. I had this big, strong guy, and he was getting surgery, and just had all the things to be confident in of the world and we had to we were doing surgery we're trying to keep him a little bit awake but he was having difficulty with that so we decided to put him all the way to sleep and so in the like three to five minutes when we're getting things ready to go all the way to sleep he's awake a little bit but he's heavily medicated and he just says doctor can i hold your hand and he reaches up and holds my hand and then he starts he grabs my hand and he starts rubbing the top of my hand and he's like thank you so much for holding my hand he said then he starts saying like it's been a tough month and his girlfriend just broke up with him and, you know, he's kind of nervous for this surgery and it's so nice that I'm there and thank you again for holding my hand. And then he went all the way to sleep and I guarantee he doesn't remember that at all, yeah. but he needed that in that moment yeah. and yeah. just the medication sometimes un- unroof. Who we really are. Yes,
1: no, I agree.
0: And I gotta see this sweet side of this big muscle bound guy that's, you know, twice as strong as me, but still needed me to hold his hand.
1: Yeah. No, that's <laughs> awesome. Um, it is it's a it's a great time. It's a a little scary for the patient. Well, definitely scary for the mm-hmm. patients. Um, yeah, I remember you know, going to sleep myself for a surgery, and I was like, I—the only thing I could remember was, I hope I don't pee myself. <laughs> <laughs> that was the only thing I remember. But don't do not, a Foley. I don't want to pee
0: myself, but please <laughs> don't do yep, Don't Foley. not no, no,
1: no, no, not at all.
0: <laughs> well, it is eleven o'clock your time, no. so I'm gonna oh, let you. Go. I'm gonna wow. let yeah, I'm gonna let you go. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for doing this.
1: Oh, it was fun. This mm-hmm. is so cool. So. What you guys are doing. It just—it must be so much fun. Like reaching out to different people.
0: Like That's I love cool. getting to know like or getting to see people I know that I've just yeah. lost contact with and then there's people I've never met before I'm like, "Hi, you're new. Tell me about yourself." That's, That's fun so too. That's so cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So, it's been a lot of fun.
1: Yeah. Ashley, it was so nice to see you again. It was like, really nice to see you. Just as you again. gorgeous as ever. <laughs> you too. Nice. I love you. I can tell I that you, you just work with women all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was so good to see you guys. Let it's me you know too. if you need anything. Bye. Bye. Anything.
0: Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.